had um, one more opportunity that I wanted to make uh, known to you guys about local service and local mission. Um, this was just relayed to me by our head deacon, Scott. Um, Travis Petrowski teaches in a, in a public school here and um, had a real heart for one of his students. We were able to um, assist because of your generosity through our benevolence fund to help out um, a student who is uh, struggling uh, with homelessness at this time. The principal of that school contacted Travis and said instead of that $500 going to one family, they actually have five different homeless families that are a part of this is Lakewood School right in our backyard, folks. Um, I want to thank you. The kindness and generosity that is poured into the Benevolence Fund over this past month, it gives us an opportunity to be able to be the hands and feet of Jesus in times like this. So thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm humbled by that news and humbled by the opportunity to see you guys be able to use your kingdom fruit to step into opportunities like that. Um, that choked me up. I'm going to pray before we dig in. Um, God, thank you for uh, just a body that is generous. A body that is generous because Christ our Lord withheld nothing. Lord, we thank you that we don't give to give back, for we cannot give back. You have uh, full atonement. Can it be, hallelujah, what a Savior. Um, we give as people who are fully freed, fully forgiven. Lord, we give not as debtors, but those whose debt has been canceled by the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for that, O oh God. And we ask that you would do a mighty work this morning through the preaching of your word. In Christ's name, amen. All right. Well, you know, as we go through uh, this time of year, there's a lot of virtues that we typically see on Christmas cards. Or you'll see them on little signs hanging around your house or on ornaments hanging on your Christmas tree. And without a doubt, the one fruit of the Spirit that seems to be lacking more than any during this time of year is the fruit of the Spirit of patience. I mean, think about this as I go just through the fruits of the Spirit. I, I don't want to, um, I bring it up because it's true, but there's also ones that we see in abundance during this season of year, isn't there? Like love, the first one. There is no shortage of stories of extravagant love during this season. All of those bullet points that I just rattled off from all of those crossway churches serving from Oregon all the way out to Nepal, the things that they're doing, they're doing because of love. And it's a motivation of love. Joy, the second through the Spirit. We have the story of the wise men rejoicing that we looked at last week. We have simple reminders like festive colors, joyful singing, joyful movies. I, I probably have a dozen different decorations in my house right now that have the word joy hanging from them in red and green. And I'll bet you that you do too. Peace. You know, as individuals, we might be lacking it, but... Um, Think about the message to the church when we speak of passages like Isaiah 9-6, which speaks of our Prince of Peace who had come into the world, who was born on that Christmas morning, that Prince of Peace coming to make all things that are wrong to be right. We even just sang right before I came up into the pulpit, sleep in heavenly 
peace. Kindness. This is a fruit of the Spirit, but it's also a virtue that even the most secular celebrations of Christmas this season, acts of kindness are celebrated as being morally excellent, and they are somewhat even culturally expected. And I could keep on going through the list, and I was going to, but I realized that once I hit self-control, that one seems to get chucked out the window during this time of year. But this ain't about that. Back to patience. How many stories do you hear about people that are just losing their patience and losing their minds this time of year? How often do you see a news story on Facebook feed or somebody that's just willing to go to absolutely insane levels to be able to trample other shoppers in their quest to get a $5 toaster. I mean, it used to be funny. I'm not kidding. When those videos first started to go viral, I wasted way too much time just watching nut jobs on Black Friday who could not exhibit patients who were trampling one another to be able to get a cheap DVD player. Um, but it's not even funny to watch anymore, is it? It's sad. Well, no, it is still kind of funny, but it, it, it's sad, too. Um, even the roads. I was parked next to somebody who beeped five different times at the person in front of them. I, I thought that they were, like, trying to play Christmas music with their horn. And then I just looked over, and it was that U-turn on uh, Hooper on 166. You know what I'm talking about. By St. Dominic's, where you're already irate if you have to take that U-turn. And it was just like everybody around me was surrounded in rage. It's like, is it really that bad if you have to wait 48 more seconds to get to the mall as you get through that leg? Yes, it is in some people's minds. The thing about people losing their cool when they lose self-control, when they lose their patience, it's really telling of what it is that they truly treasure in their heart. The person that will trample you so that they can get a head start to go get the new Beats by Dre, um, they are likely not just struggling with lust for cheap headphones. Their inability to have patience is symptomatic of something that's deeper that's going on in their hearts. Like I said last week, our treasure is a tre our fruit is a treasure map. Our fruit, good or bad, is always going to reveal what the true treasure of our hearts is. The lack of patience in this season makes the two people we're going to look at in our text, if you want to open to Luke chapter 2, stand out with such vivid detail. We're going to look at these two people who are given a promise and then waited and waited and waited. And their patience to an incredibly remote promise revealed quite a lot about what their treasure truly was. So let's jump into our text and see what these two worshipers were all about who wore their treasure on their sleeves in plain sight for all to see. Look with me, starting in verse 22. First we have this man, Simeon, and it says, And then the time came in their, uh, for their purification according to the law of Moses. They brought him up to Jerusalem and Present him to the Lord. As it is written of the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to, to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves 
or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit to the temple, and when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God, saying, Lord, you are now letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all your prophets, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of all your people, Israel. So in verse 26, it revealed that this man was waiting for a promise that he would not die before he had the opportunity to see the Messiah face to face. Think about that promise made all the way back in Genesis 3.15 when the first sin had entered the world and every generation wanted to be the generation that was going to see the Messiah. And he was told, before you pass from this earth, you shall see that Messiah. Verse 25 also tells us that this man was a righteous and a devout man. It also tells us that he lived his life with a hope for the consolation of Israel, which means that he was awaiting for this thing that we kept on talking about and Jesus kept on talking about when we were going through our series on the Sermon on the Mount, this thing called the kingdom to begin to make itself manifest and make itself known. When the king would come from the line of David, from the tribe of Judah, who would be the true king to rule over Israel. And even though this nation was small, I don't know whether you're aware of this, because when you read the Bible, Israel just seems so giant because we have this whole world that's taking place within the nation of Israel. Israel is almost exactly the same size as New Jersey. You know, one of the neat things about New Jersey, when people ask me of one of those, like, whacked out towns that I've never even heard of, and they say, how long will it take to get there? I have a standard answer that I give. Marcy, what do I say? Hour and a half. That's how long it takes. Don't matter if you've heard of the place. You could get to anywhere in New Jersey in an hour and a half. And that's about how big Israel was, and from this little, insignificant, New Jersey-sized nation, there would be a king that would come that would be even greater than all of the kings that the earth had ever seen. This means that a kingdom greater than any of the kings present that were on the earth during that time. Think about this for a moment. This was in the middle of the height of the Roman Empire, and he has put all of his chips in to the middle of the table on Israel giving birth to a king that would be seen as greater than any king or Caesar who had ever walked the earth. And the indication is, from these verses, that this man would just continue to show up at the temple after receiving this promise day after day after day and worship. And we get the indication from verse 29 that he's probably quite old by now as he's doing it. It says it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ in verse 26. But then in verse 29, after he sees this baby Jesus, he says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. These are not the words 
of a young man. This is the words of a man who had grown old waiting upon this promise for the consolation of Israel to come through the Messiah. So he had continued to show up daily in expectation and worship for something that he only had a promise to go on a long time made ago that he was still yet to receive. And by now, days had turned into weeks, had turned into months, had turned into years, had turned into decades. Think about that. I want to be Simeon someday. Every Advent, when I read this guy's story, I am so convicted by this man's faith and patient worship. Could I remain faithful if I was waiting for something for decades upon decades upon decades? Could I remain faithful if I knew that that one thing that I was waiting for continued to seem as if it was being moved out further and further and further, and I know that I'm not getting any younger? Would I start to wonder if maybe I had misinterpreted the promise, or if I had heard wrongly, or if this wasn't truly intended for me, or maybe this was a spiritual promise and it wasn't going to be literally fulfilled? I mean, I struggle with losing my mind when I check my Amazon app. And it says the gift is supposed to be delivered by 5 o'clock. And I'm like, it's 527. What the heck is going on? How is this dude not at my house yet? I mean, I str- decades upon decades upon decades. And though I'm sure that this guy had seen glimpses of God at work over the course of his life, he continued to come faithfully and worship with little to go off other than a promise that was made to him in his youth. Then we have this woman, Anna, in verses 36 and 37. It says, and there was this prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping and fasting, with prayer day and night, and coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and speak of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So this woman, Anna, becomes a widow at a young age. She loses her husband seven years after they were initially married. You guys are aware culturally how young people typically got married during um, that Time. So since this time of losing her husband, it says that she came day by day and she showed up at the temple worshiping and fasting and praying night and day. And she's now 84 years old, which means most commentators are saying she's going at least, think about this, at least on 50 to 60 years straight of showing up daily going to that temple, waiting for a promise, yet continuing to worship. When she had even less to go on than Simeon. I mean, there's no indication given when you read the three verses about Anna that she was given the direct promise that Simeon was given. So it was her faith in the promised coming of the Messiah as foretold from the scriptures that continued to get her out of bed each morning to come and wait on a remote promise that never seemed as if it was going to be fulfilled and come and show up and worship daily. Man, when I get old, I want to be like Anna, like Simeon. 
Days had turned into years, had turned into months, had turned into decades. Both of these amazing saints continued to worship, going many decades without receiving what was promised, but trusting that their God was faithful and he would deliver. So I bring them up as examples is the idea of a heart that treasures because of what precious examples they are of people who truly treasured the Lord Jesus Christ, being willing to forsake all lesser treasures and fixing their eyes steadfastly on the one true treasure that was going to satisfy. And I want to have faith like this when the Lord has me wait on things that might make my flesh be a little bit uncomfortable. I want the grace and faith to not complain just because the Lord of the universe has not adjusted his timeline to mine. That's a serious statement, man. That's, uh, as I think of just goals heading into the new year, as I think of things that I want to see the Lord forge in my life, I would love to become a man whose sanctification takes me to a place where I do not complain and kick against the goads just because the Lord's timing is not comfortably matched up with mine. Amen? I want to have a heart that's so fixed on the true treasure that I refuse to go after something counterfeit just because it will meet that desire for immediate gratification and because I've grown impatient of waiting on the true treasure. I want to be a man like Simeon who is willing to live a lifestyle of self-denial when it comes to lesser treasures because compared to Christ, all other treasures fall to the ground and they lose all of their shininess and their gleam in his presence. I don't want to be distracted by lesser treasure. I want to show up and worship faithfully, joyfully, expectantly. Think about that one. Think about that aspect of their worship. They showed up to the temple each day expectantly. Brothers and sisters, I want to ask you if that is a part of your regular way that you see and you engage your Lord Jesus Christ. When you show up to come and worship him in the midst of the public congregation, do you show up with expectation that if there's something in your heart that has been hardened, that the Holy Spirit is going to get the opportunity to be able to come in, take over, and penetrate that heart of stone? Do you come up with expectation that this is going to be the Sunday that the Holy Spirit drops on this Place. That's one of the reasons that I never like to miss church. I'm one of those people that, I mean, my arm was hanging off. I want to be here on Sunday morning because I've been praying for decades now. Lord, just show me. Give me a little taste of your glory. And you know what? I don't want to miss it and find out because that's the luck that I have. The Sunday that I end up having the flu, it'll end up happening. And everybody will be like, man, something of biblical proportions happened. And you missed it. But seriously, all jokes aside, do you show up expectantly saying, I want God to break through. This is not just a church service. This is not just something I'm coming to because it's that time on Sunday morning again. I come with expectation that the God of the universe is going to have full reign in this place. Patiently submitting to the Lord's timing rather than pitching a fit and complaining and getting bent out of shape when God forgets to bend to my timing. And as I read about Anna losing her husband 
at a young age, refusing to allow her identity to be that of victim, but instead to be that of worshiper. I am challenged. Anyone out there watch America's Got Talent or any of those stupid shows? I do. Um, uh, have you noticed that it went less about the, the talent in recent years and it's, it's all about the victim sob story? I mean, now, like, even people that don't have victim sob stories, they just, they make stuff up. It's just, it's nuts. I'm like, seriously, that's a sob story? I had more going on last week than that. But I used to enjoy them. But, man, I just can't, like, I don't tune in. I, I deal with real sob stories. I, I don't tune in for that to be my entertainment. But look. These people are trying to leverage the fact that their identity is based in being a victim. And it's not just TV. I see people press into those things that make them feel like a victim all the time in order to have excuses for their poor attitude, joyless countenance, or the fact that they are throwing a prolonged temper tantrum. I mean, just like we have Simeon and Anna who are showing up patiently worshiping for decades and decades and decades, there are people that have thrown temper tantrums for decades and decades and decades. And look, this is just unacceptable. And one of the biggest reasons that the Lord showed me on sabbatical that the way that you are going to grow and continue to press into me is to stop accepting the unacceptable in your life. I want to be like Anna who is able to walk through incredible hardship without looking for sympathy to be her treasure and still wait patiently on God and still be a person who worships and then wakes up the next morning and worships and then wakes up the next morning and worships. Her story is so amazing because she took something that could have marked her as a victim for the rest of her life and she refused to use it as an excuse and instead used it as an opportunity to joyfully worship and press even deeper still into our Lord. I want that. She says later on in the text when she really lays her cards on the table, she shows that it really comes down to, in verse 39, the treasure of her heart. The reason that she continued to persevere is because she saw the treasure that she was to gain as greater than any treasure that she had lost. Do you get that? She saw the treasure. That's why we light these candles in hope, not for the first advent. That's come. We know that the second advent is coming and our Lord Jesus is coming and John is going to be talking about that on Christmas Eve where he is going to come and take all that is wrong and make it right and show that the treasures that we have lost in this earth pale in comparison to the treasures that will be revealed in the glory of Jesus. Like Paul tells us, we know that the momentary light afflictions are nothing compared to the glories that will be revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. As I read about the determination to fast and pray, even though they've gone decades without seeing the objects about which they were fasting and praying for, I'm encouraged to persevere in prayer for things that I still await answers to. Look, I'm not trying to beat up on myself. I'm not trying to just have a time of public confession, but I'm telling you, I can give up on things that I'm praying for far too quickly. 
I want to be a man who perseveres in prayer to the point where I weary the judge by the constant coming of my petition, coming regularly into his presence with a sense of divine expectation that my God is a good father, and if me being evil know how to give good gifts to my children, how much more my father in heaven who is perfect. Simeon and Anna are such powerful examples of the discipline of delayed treasure. And that's really what the whole gist of today's passage is about. Or delayed gratification because it is more worthy to invest your hearts into a greater, more ultimate treasure. Look, most decisions come back to this idea of the revelation of the treasure of our hearts. When pressed, are we willing to forego immediate gratification of a lesser treasure because we have our eyes truly fixed on the only treasure that can actually satisfy? A good way to gauge your heart on this, when you're put in a place where you have to wait on the Lord, do you find sanctified ways to complain to other people? We all do it. We can all say yes. I mean, you're all outed right now. Um, that complaining is just example of a lesser treasure. That's saying, oh man, that, that little... Congratulations. You've received your reward in full. I mean, is that really the treasure that we're looking for? At that moment, we want the lesser treasure of somebody else's pity because the greater treasure of waiting on the Lord seems so far off and it seems so immaterial doesn't it and we've all done it and it made me ask myself would I have the same determination and the same faith to continue to worship with the same consistency if I had to wait that long and still not receive the thing that I was waiting for trust me I I don't want to condemn anybody and I'm certainly not looking to condemn myself but when I thought about that question it wasn't easy for me to answer I want to ask this again Would I have the same determination and the same faith to continue to worship with such consistency if I had waited that long and still not received the thing that I was waiting for? I I mean, I thought about situations like the Israelites who watched the Red Sea part. They watched an ocean turn into two walls of water. You ever see the Disney version of that? It's awesome. I mean, it gave me visuals of what it really must have looked like when you see the walls on the side and you see that one scene when the whale comes right up against the water but is unable to penetrate. And it's like, they saw that. How cool is that? Like, I'm amazed when I get to go to the Baltimore Aquarium and they got to see that. But as they escape across the Red Sea and they get on dry ground and they're freed from slavery, they begin doubting the God that just gave them the opportunity to be free immediately while on the other side. And I thought of all the times when God things like, I remember when Gracie was too young and we were too broke to be able to afford diapers. And my first ministry position, um, we weren't getting paid a, a whole lot. But there were some amazing people in that church. And we'd walk out and there would just be stacks and stacks of diapers on our door. Remember those mornings? And those things crush you. Like I have examples. Okay, examples of that. I've seen the Lord redeem my life 
out of the pit of addiction. When I wasn't looking for Jesus, I was doing anything I could to avoid looking for Jesus. Jesus found me as some strung out guy in a dirty motel in Long Island when he wrapped his, mo- his arms around me when I didn't even want him to. Or sometimes I, I reflect on this church and I-, I think of the things that I've seen God do in our midst since we first began to meet as a family of believers. And then I've thought about where I've struggled with doubt in between. All of those times where he's shown me, Eric, I have your back. I'm going to take care of you. Today I've always taken care of you. And tomorrow I'm going to take care of you again. Just like I've always taken care of you. When I'm not at that mountaintop time, when faith seems so clear, and when I'm in the valley, and the object of my faith seems so dim, I've struggled during those times. And it made me at least wonder and reflect and seek my heart to be honest as I contemplate whether I would be able to remain steadfast and wait so long like Simeon and Anna. I'd have, I'd hope I'd have the same determination and consistency. God has certainly given me every reason to trust in it, hasn't he? Hasn't he for you? Hasn't he given you every reason? Isn't just the very fact that you're here today proof that when you thought that you might go hungry, that he put a meal on your plate, when you thought that the rent was going to go unpaid, that you still have shelter over you, when you thought, I can't possibly take this anymore, that the Lord stepped in and he gave you the strength that you needed at the very hour that you needed it so that you could take this a little bit more. He's given me every reason. He's a good father. He's a good father every time. He's never ceased to be a good father. And in the times when I've struggled with patience, he's shown me that he's a good father rather than condemning me for giving up on him and saying, look, you worm, didn't I show you that I'm always going to be good? You know what he does when I end up struggling with my patience and revealing that the heart, treasure of my heart's askew? Do you know what our God does? He blesses me even more. He continues to pour out his grace on my life in those times. He doesn't say, look, I've done it enough times and now you're doubting me, so this is it. You're cut off, kid. No, he continues to lavish and heap grace upon me during those times. And he does it for you as well. What do you think as you stop and think through the various seasons where you were forced to wait on the Lord to the point where it's made you uncomfortable? Where did your heart go? I'm not asking you, again, there's no shame in this. During those times, I'm not saying that you no longer treasure Jesus. I'm just saying he's getting pushed over off of the center of treasure where he belongs. And you're trying to have something else occupy that space along with him. I thought about all of their treasure was really not all that different than how true worshipers of God have treasured Jesus for the majority of history on this earth. That's why so many sermons that we preach here go back to the first couple chapters of Genesis. In Genesis 3, sin first entered the world. And why was it? It was because Adam believed that he would be happier by choosing a lesser treasure rather than trusting the greater treasure who told him to stay away. Ever since then, man has truly just been wanting 
to re-experience that radiant fullness of God's presence. And people have been searching for treasure in all the wrong places. I was reminded of the Old Testament saints who didn't look in the wrong places and how they're waiting in anticipation for this thing that we call Advent, the first coming of Christ. The picture of their faithful worship reminded me of Hebrews 11, and it reminded me in particular of the end of the chapter that all these, having gained approval through their faith as it goes through this great hall of fame, it says, did not receive what was promised because God has provided something better for us that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. So therefore, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. What that is saying is they all waited for what you got to see. All of them lived their lives of in, in anticipation and worship for what you got to see, for what we got the full revelation about. I mean, think about what this verse is saying. It's saying that all of those who worshiped, waiting on the promised prophesied Messiah, worshiped in faith, but almost all of them never got the opportunity to see the object of their faith. And in some ways, many of them died without ever receiving that full object of their faith. But for God has provided something greater. He has provided us with the full technicolor picture. That's why I celebrate Christmas so much each year, folks. It's just a demonstration that God is not going to leave his people waiting. He is not going to abandon his people. He is trustworthy. God's provided us with the technicolor. The verse is saying that we have a chance to fully worship in HD what our predecessors were only able to worship grainy footage of. I began to realize something, that almost all of Hebrews 11 was a story of people who rejected lesser treasure because they were all waiting to see what the angels and the shepherds saw in that field on that first Christmas morning that we're going to be celebrating in three days. The chapter begins that by faith, Abel offered a better sacrifice than Cain. Why? Because his treasure wasn't his belongings. He was giving his lesser treasure to the greater treasure. By faith, Abraham went out from a city to a city to where he did not know because he was looking for what it says in Hebrews 11, the city whose architect and builder was God, meaning he left the city filled with treasure to be able to go out into the wilderness because he was in search of the greater treasure. Listen to this one. This one blows my mind. By faith, Moses chose to endure the hardships of Israel rather than the riches of Egypt because he was waiting for the true riches. It's saying the same thing that I've been saying through my sermon, folks. This is saying that Moses refused to be taken in by a lesser treasure because he was looking for a greater treasure. And if you know the story of Moses, this means that he chose to leave Pharaoh's palace so that he could wander with a bunch of malcontents in the wilderness because that was God's calling on his life and pathway for him to head towards the greater treasure. All of those were worshiping while waiting for something. And each of them were brought to a crossroads where patience was required for them to continue to press 
in and press on. And they all had the opportunity to cash in their chips at any time and be able to take a a lesser treasure. But instead, they sought first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, knowing that all of these things shall then be added unto you. I'm pretty sure that that was in the Sermon on the Mount, too. And then I thought about how these two did receive the promise. And this is what I'll close with. Look what Luke goes on to say about Simeon in verses 35 through 37. I don't know why. I just had a backwards moment. 27 through 35. It says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all of your peoples a light for the revelation of the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled about what was said about Jesus. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the rising and the fall of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword shall pierce through your own soul so that the thoughts of many, what? Hearts may be revealed. Not making this stuff up, folks. This one who was told that he would not taste death until the Messiah met him face to face, he comes and he meets these two common people in the temple that morning. And when he held out this child, passage just blows my mind, he knew that he was holding the answer to that promise that he had been waiting for. Think about that. Think about waiting for something every single day of your life and watching the calendar flip over and over and over. And then somebody hands you this child and you say, wow, I finally got this thing that I've been waiting for. My true treasure. I'm holding it. And do you know that that is the first instance that we see of the presence of God actually being in the second temple that was built and it came in the form of a baby? He knew that he was holding the object of decades of faith. He knew that he was holding his Messiah as a newborn babe. In verse 27, he says, it's enough. Think about that. When have you ever been so full? When has your heart ever been so full where you just say, no, it's enough. I'm so full, I can't have any more. I am overflowing with treasure. I've received everything that that I could have hoped for. Go ahead and take me home, Lord. It's like the old hymn, any day now, any day now, I shall be released. He's saying, go ahead and release me from this life. I've already gotten everything that I could have wanted out of it. I received my treasure and his heart was satisfied. Think about that. Every single person who's ever been born has been looking for treasure since Adam took that first bite. We all want to be satisfied. There's a reason why 50 years Later, the words of the Rolling Stones still resonate, and you probably stop when you're flipping through the radio that I, 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 I can't get no satisfaction. But I tried, and I tried, and I tried, and he still can't get no. So it seems as if Mick Jagger was a pretty good theologian in that song. Actually, I think Keith wrote that, but... Keith was the theologian of the group, if you know anything about Keith Richards. Um, This guy found it. This guy found the true treasure. And his treasure brought him satisfaction. Look at Anna in verse 38. 
It says, And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. This woman who had been coming up to the temple and tasting and fasting and worshiping for decades upon decades was now putting the fullness of her treasure on display. And I had this really neat thought. Anna and Simeon, they sort of serve as the tipping point in the entire world's history of treasure. At one moment, they're worshiping and waiting in faith and trust that God is going to show them the object of their faith. And the very next moment, they're holding the creator of the universe in their arms. They go from patiently awaiting treasure to receiving the fullness of treasure, unlike anyone in history. And they were given this worship experience, unlike anyone in history. And the very next moment, they're holding this bundle of anticipation and joy in their arms, worshiping with a fullness that they had previously only been able to dream of. Have you ever experienced something where you've waited for so long, and then God did it? God gave it to you. Somebody who you've been praying for their salvation that finally bends their knee. Something that you've been begging the Lord for and you see him show up. How much does that edify your faith? Well, I want to close with this. I just want to ask you guys pastorally. Our patience reveals our treasures. When you're pressed and your patience makes all sorts of things come out sideways, things that are not in line with the fruits of the Spirit, it's showing you that your treasure's also out of line. Your treasure's not aligned, so therefore the fruit that's coming out is not aligned. And the Lord in his infinite goodness is using patience as the trying ground to be able to show you, hey, I want something greater for you. I want to be your only one true treasure. So the impatience reveals that our treasure is askew. Sometimes the Lord is willing to because he loves you and he cares more about your holiness than your comfort. For you to go through a season where your patience is tried to realign your hearts with his treasure sensor. May we be able to say with Paul in Philippians 4 that I know how to get by in plenty. I know how to get by with meager means. I know what it means to be satisfied with being hungry, to be satisfied in being fulfilled. In all of these things, I have learned the secret to being content. Brothers and sisters, I just want to ask you, are you struggling with patience to where it is impacting your contentment? Let me encourage you with this. Jesus Christ also had the opportunity to cash in all of his chips. He went into the wilderness for 40 days and Satan came to tempt him and said, look, Jesus, you're hungry. Jesus, this is hard. Jesus, this is difficult. At any point, you could just turn these loaves, these stones into loaves. Or how about you go up and look at all the kingdoms of the world and I will offer you this, later, this lesser treasure if you would just forego the cross, if you would forego that greater treasure. Three times, Satan tried it. Jesus has been tempted like us in all ways, but without sin, that he might be our great and perfect high priest. And Jesus said, away with you, Satan, because Jesus knew that he was waiting on 
the greater treasure. And back to Hebrews chapter 12 as we close. That greater treasure was the joy that was set before him that caused him to endure the cross, despising the shame. The greater treasure was you. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that Jesus fixed his eyes on the treasure of the Father's glory and the inheritance that would be revealed in the saints of God. Lord, I pray for those whose struggles with patience has caused ill contentment, that this morning that they would just take a step back and see that the God who sees knows what they need, God. You know more intimately than any of us ever could. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to um, partake of communion right now. This is a meal that we celebrate each week with churches around the globe where we come in remembrance of what our Lord Jesus has done for us. We do this each week because we need reminders. So as you come forward, be reminded that that baby that was born who became flesh, which is represented by the bread that we take. He lived a sinless life. And that's why the blood that was poured out, which is represented by the juice that we take, full atonement, can it be? Hallelujah, what a Savior. So that's why we ask, if you don't know Jesus, this is a meal for God's people, and um, we'd ask that you would just stay in your seats. Not because we want to single anybody out, but because we don't want something that is so sacred to our faith to be anything, but uh, we don't want it to be an empty ritual. So we would ask you, as you come, um, just come down to the side aisles, grab a cup, grab a cracker. We have a gluten-free. If you have limited mobility, somebody will come to you. And we'll also have people around the room to pray. If something this morning just sparked something within your heart and you need to pray with somebody, I encourage you, take that time to pray. You know, come when you're ready.